You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. up here and somebody's wearing the microphone, uh, I'd like to think that it makes me feel really important, but it doesn't. It makes me feel very responsible. And the, the weight that, that one carries with this responsibility and made me also think about going to the gym and lifting on some weights and how some of us can lift a lot less weight than others. I go with my son, Michael. And one of the exercises we do is a walking lunge where you hang on to two weights and you're walking like this with the weights. And I watch Michael with 60 pounds in each hand. And I'm up to 20 pounds with each hand. And that's the best about I can do right now. But the weight of responsibility is great when it comes to sharing God's word. And I'd like to uh, just begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into this passage of scripture that uh, I've been given. Father, we just thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. And as we've celebrated the death of Jesus, we remember the great price that was paid on our behalf. And with that great price, now we have the privilege, the honor, and the responsibility of standing before you, Lord, giving thanks and looking to you to uh, honor your word this morning and to uh, be honored here today. And we just give you praise and thanksgiving. And Lord, I pray that the uh, word spoken this morning would be honoring to you and anything I say that's not from you would be quickly forgotten. And Father, we just thank you for this time together now in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to just begin with a, a, just a quick review because we've, we've taken our time going through the book of Galatians, a letter that the Apostle Paul had, uh, had penned. And I'm always interested in timelines as well. And um, historians tell us, the best we understand, is that Paul was saved 33, 34 AD. Uh, this letter to the churches was written uh, 4950, and then he was martyred in the mid to late 60s. So this was kind of midway through his through his ministry. And this was this was not a letter, the usual kind of letter. We read the letters that he's written to other churches. He would often spend a little time uh, giving thanks and then praising the churches because of the great work that they'd done in certain areas. That didn't happen in the book of Galatians. He just got right to the point. Uh, there were several churches that he was writing to, and these were churches that Paul had, had founded, had planted, uh, during his first missionary journey. And you can read about that in Acts 13 and 14. And, and now this letter was, was being written, and again, historians tell us that it wasn't that long after he had planted these churches that now this letter was being penned and was being to the churches. This is, this is sad in a lot of ways in terms of what was happening. This letter was being written to all the churches in Galatia, 
that he had found. So that meant that all of them were coming under scrutiny with this letter, uh, from what I would assume. And, And Paul was not happy. You could tell by the tone of his letter and the way he started it. He was upset. He was peeved. He was sad. He was disappointed. He was frustrated because he had risked life and limb to get to these people, to share the truth with them, to plant the truth with them. He spent time teaching and leading. And he spent time in putting leaders and teachers in place in these churches. And now, so quickly, he was having to reprimand them for this one huge flaw, huge error, and that was taking their eyes off the centrality of Christ. How quickly error, false teaching can creep into a church. We have to keep that in mind. It seems like all these churches had faltered. It seems also odd that it's so easy for us to fall for a lie rather than believe the truth or remain in the truth. But Paul never wavered from the truth. He was focusing on this one true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ alone, by faith alone. And he had spent time in those letters, pouring over some of the the struggles and the faults, but he had made it really clear about the universal nature of the gospel. He also spoke of the one true gospel, how we all, uh, we have believed that by faith, and we believe that by faith we are all part of God's family, and the seal of the Holy Spirit is there to prove that through our faith in Christ. And then we're finishing the letter by looking at the, the really the, uh, how really we're delivered from sin's stronghold and stranglehold. Um, not to make life easier for us, but so that we truly can start walking in faith and obedience and in the truth of that one true gospel. Growing some real fruit, fruit that is going to last, rather than languishing in that fruit of the flesh in which we're all experts in growing right from the get-go. So this morning, we're going to look at uh, chapter 6 of Galatians, starting at verse 6, verse 10. There's two different versions of Scripture there in your, in your pews. One's page 916, the other one's about 1057. And I'm still stuck in the CSB. So it takes me a long time to move, even though Pastor Mark said it's great for us to be moving ahead into something that gives us a little better and a little more clarity. But I've hardly got my Bible broken in. So I'm still here. So Galatians 6, verses 6 to 10. Let the one who's taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So I'm going to spend a good part of time this morning looking at that very first verse 
And how do we commend the teacher? And using an attitude of gratitude in that. And as I placed in the bulletin too, commending, and I think a better word might have been honoring. How do we honor the teacher? The second is about sowing and reaping a harvest. And at the end, what's our harvest going to look like? Is it actually going to be worth reaping? And finally, doing good. What does good, goodness look like for us? So we're going to start with that first, that first verse I read. Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. So who are the ones being taught? Well, that was the, that was the Galatians, the Galatian church. They were being taught. And that spins out into us today. Anyone who comes in under the authority of God's word, that's who he's talking about. And who's the teacher? Well, that's the man of God who is faithfully delivering up understanding and wisdom and application from the truth of God's word. And what are all these good things that the student is to bring to the teacher? First and foremost was financial support, looking after the teacher, the full-time pastoral staff, financially. And that's the first thing we're going to address. But also, prayer support. That's another really important item we're going to look at. Encouragement and gratitude. And finally, making sure that our teacher has a time of rest and restoration. So those are some of the things we're going to look at this morning. The Apostle Paul spends a couple of chapters when he wrote to the, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, about this very issue, about financially supporting the teacher to making sure that he was looked after from that perspective. And in 1 Corinthians, he also takes a, he takes a passage from, from what Moses had written, from Deuteronomy. And he says, for it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. And they also used other examples from the Old Testament. He said the servers at the altar, the servers in the temple, all received a portion of what was being presented to God. So this goes back right to the, to the days of Moses where those who were serving were being looked after. But then more bluntly, he says in 1 Corinthians again, he said, in the same way, this is Paul speaking, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. And then he explains the same thing to Timothy. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18. He uses that same analogy with don't let the ox be muzzled because he needs to get a little when he's working. But then he also says that the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor. The double honor is respect, but also remuneration, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So it's a clear command from us in Scripture that in Paul's day, in Moses' day, and in our day, that we have this responsibility to make sure that our teacher is well looked after financially, full-time. Well, well, there's some expectations that we have to consider. Why is that? Well, first of all, James speaks about that. And Pastor Mark spoke briefly about that a couple of weeks ago. Or James says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. And when he commented on that, Pastor Mark commented on that, he was speaking about the, the fear he has and the weight he feels every week when he brings from God's word 
is he wants to be as sure as he can be that he is bringing the words of God. And so that's what God expects. He expects that kind of excellence from the teacher. Well, secondly, we have expectations, or we should have expectations as part of the body. We must be eager to hear God's truth and to be confident that the teacher is bringing God's truth, that we're being taught. We're being taught the truth, but also the teacher is teaching us how to seek out truth from the scripture, how to understand truth, how to dig it out for ourselves, how to apply it into our lives. An effective and wise teacher, he's got to be able to spend time in study, a great deal of time in study, research, prayer, before bringing the word of God to the body. It's for his good and for ours. We think about the early teachers in that first century churches that Paul was, was railing on, is that they, they struggled in many ways, I'm sure, because they didn't have all that we have, all the resources we have. They were given the circulating letters from the apostles. They may have had visits back from some of the church fathers as time went on, traveling evangelists who had maybe some more insight again, and those who had some familiarity or had learned from the Old Testament, they could ferret out some things to teach the body as well. But it was a challenge for them, I'm sure, because of their limited resources. And even then, it was so easy and so quick for lies, false teaching, heresy to creep in to those churches. And we can read that through multiple places. Uh, John spoke about that for sure. But even today, we don't have to look around very far for very long to know that the teachers today in churches are failing in many churches and because they are taking their eyes off the centrality of the gospel. They're taking their eyes away to the essential truths of the word of God and being pushed by culture. And churches are failing, churches are closing, churches are dying because the teacher is failing. How easy it is for the gospel to be perverted and corrupted. And that's what riled Paul up. That's what upset Paul because he was so adamant that these people understand the truth and how quickly they had drifted from that. Even Jesus in John chapter 8 says, know the truth and the truth will set you free. And in this case, it will set us free and keep us free from error, from heresy, from false truth. So we must be confident, friends, that we are hearing from God's word every single week from the teacher when he speaks. And if you consider yourself part of this body, then we all have a responsibility to participate financially in supporting our teacher through tithing, generous offerings, and then go to the church, and of course the deacons, they administer that and set a salary, which is reasonable, fair, to support the teacher full-time. I read in a commentary from Pastor David Guzik, a long-tithing pastor in California, and just to summarize, we put in a big, long paragraph. He essentially said, the teacher labors over God's word, and he shares that with us. We share with him from our labor. Another way that we can really and must honor the teacher is through prayer. 
because the teacher is honored when we pray diligently and consistently for the teacher, and God is honored by that. The Apostle Paul, he requested, and even more than that, he flat out commanded the churches that he had been to, had taught, had had planted, commanded them to pray for him. He said that to the Romans, to the Corinthians, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians. He asked Paul, uh, Philemon, to pray for him. And the author of, uh, of Hebrews even had requested prayer. We don't know who that is, but he did the same thing. And how might we pray for the pastor, the teacher? However God leads you, that's how you pray. Frequently, diligently, uh, with great desire to see the preacher, the teacher honored. But we have been teaching and learning how to pray using scripture. Because when we're praying scripture, we're always going to be praying the will of God. And when scripture teaches us, as Benaiah was sharing with us today, praying for spiritual protection against the spiritual attack that not if it comes, that will and does consistently come against the teacher. That the teacher would have wisdom, would have understanding, would hear from the Spirit of God and would, would speak powerfully and effectively every time he brings the Word of God to us. And when we're praying for those kinds of things, we know that we're praying the will of God because that's what God wants for the teacher. Do you want a teacher or do you want a babysitter? Do you want a teacher who is going to bring the word of God or do we want an entertainer? And Paul warned Timothy about that when he said, there's going to be a time coming when the teacher's just going to speak the words to tickle the ears of the people what they want to hear. And we can definitely see that happening more so even now, where the pressure of culture is demanding that the teacher speak to what the culture wants, not to what the Word of God says. And we must guard against that. And we do that by praying for our pastor because that makes him more effective. That makes him more diligent through the power of the Spirit. The teacher is on the front lines of this arrow. There's an arrow of, of, of leadership. And we have a plurality of, of leaders here at Calvary, but still the teacher is still the, the point of, of that arrow moving forward. And so there's always considerable weight and pressure and intensity of the spiritual attack because of the, uh, the war that's going on for your soul and for the souls of people who are yet not at Calvary, but will be one day as we pray for people to come. So there's great pressure with that on the teacher. Sometimes it's hard to discern who's the wolf in sheep's clothing, who's the poser, who's a deceiver, Who's a liar, a gossip, a sexually deviant, those amongst us at times? We have to be wise, and the teacher has to be wise against those things. We need to pray because the teacher has also affected by temptation from the world, the devil, the flesh, even more so because of his position of authority and the great impact that he has on the body. 
So praying for the teacher and his family is critical in the way we honor the teacher. How do we encourage and show gratitude to the teacher? We take so much for granted. Each week we show up here, we expect the teacher to teach something, and he does. And every time the teacher comes up here, we're trusting and believing. I trust and believe, and I know that he has spent hours studying and preparing. And he is bringing literally every week a life-changing message for somebody or for all of us if we're paying attention and willing to listen and hear and adapt. But yet, many times it's easy for us to leave the sanctuary and have forgotten virtually everything by the time we get in the car to go home. So if we're not changing every single week, why not? Sometimes it may be because we're still looking for that spiritual milk rather than the meat that the teacher wants to bring. I tell you, steak is way better than milk. Way better. (laughs) Sometimes people say, well, it's hard to understand. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's too complicated. Well, sometimes it is pretty complicated. But the writer of Hebrews also suggested something else. He didn't suggest it. He flat out said it. It's laziness. And he was writing this letter to to the Hebrews, and he was saying in his letter that he was talking about the priesthood of Christ. And he said, I've got a lot more to tell you about this. He said, I'm not sure there's any point because I think you're just too lazy to understand it. And that hits pretty hard. Are we just too lazy to understand? Or is it really because the struggle is just that great? I thought about this for a bit. And we think about digestion. We don't really think about digestion. That's why we're having trouble with it. But digestion is this amazing part of the body's physiology that sustains us. We eat. We take all the nutrients out of that food. And I won't get into the rest of it. But... Digestion is an amazing part of what God has planted in our body. But digestion, sometimes if it gets skewed, it doesn't work so well. And that's really a huge problem today. Many, many people really struggle with digestion because of lots of reasons. So I thought, well, let's just do some parallels with digesting God's word and the difficulty with that. One of the things that I know is if you want to have better digestion, you need to exercise. More exercise improves digestion. Well, how about exercising some some discipline in reading God's word? That would be so encouraging to the pastor, the teacher, if he knew that we were taking the responsibility to read God's word for ourselves and to study it. Good eating habits are really critical if you're going to have good digestion. You need to eat the right food. You need to eat in a timely fashion. And how about a regular diet and a good diet and a consistent diet of good spiritual food. Really good times in God's word. That would also be great encouragement to the pastor. Using and reading things that help us to understand. Sometimes with digestion, when it doesn't work so well, it's because we need some digestive enzymes. We're lacking those. Or probiotics help get the gut functioning better. 
And so sometimes when we're trying to understand and study God's word, we need some extra help. Study helps. And there's huge amounts of resources out there now. I remember uh, Paul Carter, pastor in church in Aurelia, saying once that we have more resources to help us read and study and learn God's word than any other time in history. And yet we are also the most biblically illiterate bunch of people in history as well. And it's tragic because we're not utilizing what God is giving us. And that could be a huge, huge encouragement to the teacher and the pastor if he knew that we were taking those kinds of initiatives. And that's God-honoring too when we're willing to take the time to learn and study and do those things for ourselves. A great example is is uh, pastor, uh, teacher, American theologian, John Piper. And you hear his name come up from time to time from the pulpit. Pastor Mark quotes him from time to time. and He's an amazing individual. But when he was growing up, he, he couldn't read very well. He could only read at the speed at which he could speak. So he was a very, very slow reader. He was mortified to stand in front and speak from the time he was 12 until he was into university. He couldn't. He just couldn't do it. But God honored his desire and his faithfulness to be, to be honoring him. And what he had set himself to do, and he said this in a bit of a bio that I read on him, is that for the last 30 years, he has read through the script, the whole Bible, every single year. And this man has written over 50 books. He has pastored a church for 30 plus years. He's been chancellor of a Christian university for many years. This is an amazing, amazing speaker and teacher. And that's what God has done for a man who is willing to take the effort and persist. And what a great encouragement that would be to the teacher to know that we've got that kind of persistence. So let the teacher see your desire. Let him see your spiritual growth. That's a great encouragement to him. And that's the best way, I think, we could show gratitude to our teacher here, is to let him see us grow and mature and change through the power of God's word and his teaching. The last thing in this section I just wanted to touch on, which we we have resolved to do, is giving our full-time pastoral staff a time of rest, a break from And I think we, as a body, we had never done that before until we gave Pastor Benjamin that sabbatical. I think we waited too long. There was always some reason we couldn't do it. Well, this had to be done first. That had to be done first. Well, no, we just need to set a time so that our full-time teacher can have a time of refreshed and refreshment so that he doesn't get destroyed in the process of being the teacher. I want to just read something about our history here at Calvary, I think is applicable to what's happening in the uh, in the bigger scheme of things uh, here at Calvary now. So this is just a quick review of the history here at Calvary. Um, and the reality is that very few churches um, escape some sort of spiritual crisis through their history. And Gravenhurst Calvary here has no exception. And many of you here have joined this body in the last eight or nine years. 
So you really enjoyed the uh, excitement of spiritual resurgence and renewal here at Calvary. Like maybe has never been in this church before. Nor this long lasting. Because for many years, Calvary was just a small, struggling church. But this has come at a significant cost. The teacher, the leadership have paid a price for this. I vividly remember a meeting we had with a relatively new pastor to Gravenhurst in Calvary. I think his name was Ben Emery. If my memory serves him right, he was an ex-military guy. He was experienced in the front lines of combat in Afghanistan. Then under his new leader, the Holy Spirit, he finds himself fighting a different battle, waging war with another enemy. More destructive, more cunning, and destroying far more people. In the thick of this spiritual warfare that we were engaged in, he commented to us fellows around the table one morning. He probably wishes he never said this because I keep telling him about this. He said, fighting the Taliban was easier than this. Fighting the Taliban was easier than this. Think about that for a minute. Now, I think if you were with him in the thick of a firefight in Afghanistan, you tapped him on the shoulder and asked him that question then, he probably wouldn't say that. But at that moment, he said, fighting the Taliban was easier than this battle that we're in right now. So let's think about Calvary's past just for a moment. This church opened in 1884. But by within 20, 25 years, they had a, a young pastor here, a student pastor, who was just out of seminary, I guess, and he was teaching something heretical. It was bad enough to close the church. The church closed for a couple of years. But it did reopen again, continued on, but not without its ups and downs. Most of the life of Calvary has been under an umbrella organization called the, the uh, Canadian Baptists of Ontario and Quebec. They also have somewhat of a checkered past. We at Calvary elected to have ourselves removed from that umbrella, that association, a few years ago because we were being viewed as a liberal church purely by association because we were under that umbrella. And so we had to remove ourselves from that because we knew that many of the things that association was now standing for and allowing to happen within the churches of that organization, we could not stand for. For almost 30 years prior to Benjamin's coming, Calvary was under a very unbalanced leadership model, very unbalanced leadership model, putting us all on a very slippery slope. Scripture was not held in the highest regard that it should have been. And almost nine years ago, we believed that God was leading us onto firm footing again when we congregationally unanimously voted, or almost unanimously voted, for a leadership model that was truly biblical, an elder-led church. And then shortly after that, uh, we hired this incredible young pastor, teacher, Ben Emery. And that began the real battle for spiritual high ground once again. And Calvary was also, during that time, electing elders to be part of the leadership. 
And just in the past few months, we at Calvary have been blessed by God with another incredible teacher, pastor, Pastor Mark. And now we have just hired, and I think tomorrow, we have another incredible young man who is going to be leading us and keeping us on firm footing on the rock. Amen? Amen. Absolutely critical. The Apostle Paul reminded us of the importance of looking back to review our history briefly when he spoke to the Corinthians about Israel's past. He said, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction. So what's the takeaway from this? What was the point of just me sharing a little bit? We absolutely need biblically sound teachers. And I believe that God has once again delivered that sound biblical teacher in Pastor Mark and now in Pastor Josh. We have another great teacher in our midst, Dustin. Dustin Good. Dustin is an incredible teacher when he comes up here. I'm just so amazed at at his ability to bring God's word as well. Now each of you have the privilege and responsibility of supporting our teacher pastors by sharing with them all those good things, making sure they're well paid, praying for them, honoring them with encouragement and gratitude, and making sure that they have a time of rest. Isn't it great, Josh, that we're talking about giving you a break before you even get started? Yeah, yeah. isn't that great? Okay, this next couple of sections won't take this long. Verses 7 and 8. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So how are we deceived? Well, many are deceived simply by denying God. A believer is deceived and mocks God by simply disobeying God. The underlying issues for disobedience many times, I think, are unbelief and rebellion. And those are real tools of the enemy. So who mocks God? Well, we see an example in Scripture of King Herod. He mocked God by receiving God's glory instead of allowing God to have it. And that didn't end well with him. God struck him down, he got ate by worms, and he died. Psalm 14 tells us that it's the fool denying God is the one who is mocking God. And Psalm 1 speaks of the beauty and the wonder of the blessing when it comes to those who do not mock God. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. That's the beauty of not mocking God. So what about some celebrities who mock God and the outcome? John Lennon, famous one of the Beatles. 1966 he was in an interview and he said... Uh, yeah, Jesus is okay, but his followers are pretty simple, and I don't think it's going to last. Um, we're more famous than Jesus. That was in 1966. 1970, it was the Beatles that disappeared. They disbanded. 1980, John Lennon was shot dead in front of his house, and I'm pretty sure he's still dead. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe, 1972. She was on site, on a set. Billy Graham, evangelist, Billy Graham came to her and said, God, the Holy Spirit has convicted me to come and share the gospel with you. And when he was finished sharing the gospel, she listened. She said, I don't need your Jesus. A week later, she was found dead in her home from an overdose of barbiturates. 
Thomas Andrews, who built the Titanic, he was interviewed and was asked about the durability of that big ship. And he said, not even God could sink that ship. Well, April 15th, 1912, an iceberg sunk that ship. How do we mock God as believers? Well, first, expecting that God has for us great blessing, and then we excuse ourselves from our responsibilities before God. That was something that Matthew Henry said back in the 1700s. That applies today, by the way. In this Galatians text, Scripture teaches that we are responsible to financially support our teacher, to pray for him, to encourage him, to show our gratitude, rather than having roast pastor every Sunday and expecting others to pick up the slack. God easily sees through our disguises, and he will deal with us, not according to our profession, but according to our practice. How do we observe and follow and adhere to the one true gospel? Now, regarding reaping and sowing, we've had some, uh, some, some teaching on that already. Pastor Mark taught us about our freedom in Christ and how that's, and that is tied to the spiritual fruit. Uh, the spiritual fruit, uh, we're going to produce fruit. Uh, and what kind of fruit is coming out of our lives? Is it going to continue the fruit of the flesh, which we're all, all experts at before we become Christians and many times continue on? Or is it finally going to be growing some fruit of the Spirit, which is God's character coming through? The fruit of the flesh is destructive. That keeps us in bondage. That cripples us mentally, spiritually, sometimes physically. As the Spirit grows in us, the nature and character of God appear and flourish in our lives. So we become more Christ-like, living out that one true gospel when we are desiring the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the flesh Well, the fruit of the flesh will be choked out as we learn to love God more than we love the sin that has captured us, the fruit of the flesh. We must earnestly be seeking to grow the fruit of the Spirit. And that only happens when we're earnestly seeking God and inviting His Spirit to change us, to grow us into His likeness. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what's your harvest going to look like? And you're harvesting some now, but you're going to be standing before God and you're going to have something to present to him. What's that harvest going to look like? Is it going to be fruit of the spirit? Or is there still going to be a lot of fruit of the flesh? That's something we have to ask ourselves. And finally, 9 and 10. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity to let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Goodness. What does goodness look like? Well, goodness is, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, self-control. So goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. Doing good in this passage that he speaks about Those aren't just random acts that we do from time to time to make us feel good. 
But no, it's a commitment to honoring God by serving. Serving whenever we have and see opportunity. It's yes, it's, it's for our good, but it also honors God. It's a commitment to being obedient. And the reaping, a harvest of that, may not always be seen now for us as believers. But guaranteed, because the scripture tells us that, there are rewards waiting for us in eternity, tied to our obedience and our service and honoring God. It's easy to give up. It's easy to quit. It's easy to say, I've had enough of this. Let somebody else do it. Or it's easy to say, no, I don't think so. But as we have opportunities to serve him, it's important also to be wise. Because there are many who do too little. And there are a few who find themselves doing too much. Overcommitted. And struggling to handle all of that. This passage also says that we have our first and biggest responsibility to the family of God, the household of God. But I just want to expand on that just very, very briefly because part of that commitment to the household, the family of God, is our own families. And we have uh, the blessing of of an incredible uh, men's group here. And we have been seeking really uh, hard to teach the men. So we're all learning, teaching the men how to be truly men of God, to take care of their families, to be a leader in the household, and to be the servant leader in the household, and to be the protector in the household. And I just want to stress that again, how important and vital that is for all of us, all of us here, husbands, fathers. We have that incredible responsibility to be looking after and caring for our families. And do you know why that is so important? Is because God has called us to that, number one. Number two, as we take care of our families, that greatly reduces the burden for the church. And that brings greater glory to God when we're honoring God that way. But we do have that responsibility to one another here as a body of believers. But I really just want to impress that upon us as men that we have that extra burden of responsibility that God has given to us. Interesting quote I read. No idea who wrote it. The church is a household where everyone is expected to pitch in. It's not a hotel where you come to be waited on hand and foot. Now, that being said, the church is also a critical care center, a place where people who are sick mentally, spiritually, sometimes physically, can come to seek healing. And we have a responsibility for those people And many of us have suffered that way to allow God to bring healing. And that's part of caring for the body. But then we all have the responsibility when healing comes to pitch in and to be part of that family caring for one another. 
So this has been just a bit of an exercise this morning of looking at some of the very practical things and the aspects of being part of the body. Take care of the teacher. Because without a good and effective teacher, there is great potential to waver and falter. Grow fruit worth harvesting in this life and the next. And let goodness become a lifestyle, not an occasional event. And that's all built around preserving and living out that one true gospel that Paul wants us and God wants us to adhere to. Father, thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. Thank you for the truth that you bring from your word. And thank you for the great opportunities and responsibilities that we have to one another here. Thank you for this time together and may the hope of Jesus continue to live on us powerfully and may that continue to shine into our communities and around the world. And for this we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.